This is the podcast of the California Institute of Integral Studies, where we bring you conversations and lectures from our public program series, featuring world-renowned scholars, leaders, authors, artists, and thinkers. To make sure you never miss an episode of the CIIS Public Programs Podcast, find us and subscribe on iTunes or on our website at ciis.edu slash podcast. Expressing gratitude and acknowledging the Muwekma Ohlone, the original people of San Francisco. And of course, to welcome you all and certainly to welcome Jose. Mm. So grateful to be here, Dr. with everybody. Such an honor and always gratitude. This is actually our first time meeting. <laughs> um, so... I'm hoping you'll feel especially welcome here in the Bay Area because we have an audience in the Bay Area that's pretty sophisticated about shamanism. And um, many of them know that a shaman is a person who travels in an altered state of consciousness to an ordinarily hidden world in order to bring back power, information, and healing to enhance life in ordinary reality. And so I'm very interested to learn how it is that Toltec shamans do that that is uniquely Toltec? Um, well, the beautiful thing about the tradition, Toltec, it means artist of the spirit. And he's always finding our guide. And uh, one of the most beautiful things uh, that I discovered in the tradition of the shamanism in my tradition, when someone asked me the question, Jose, will you tell me the secret of the Toltecs of thousands of years ago? And I humbly responded, I do not know. <laughs> and they asked me, how come you do not know? And I responded, it's because I was born in 1978. <laughs> and I can take everything, but I don't know if, if it's right or, if, I mean, if it's true or not true. But the only thing I know is true is the experience that I've had. Because I can rely and have faith in the experience that I have. Experience that I have taken myself out and in from. Because if the other things, it's just stories. And this is one of the beautiful things about life, to respect all stories, especially our own. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um. So, I wanted to ask you about a couple of things in the book. This is his new book called The Shaman's Wisdom. And um, you have a definition of shaman. It says, um, because any word in itself has no meaning without our agreement, I will use shaman throughout this book to describe a person who is awakened to the realization that we are all this fundamental life force energy as this is the most familiar term in the modern world. Um, that was hard for me to understand, so I was hoping for the opportunity to have you clarify that. Yes, well, it's very simple. It's like waking up, like my father teach us one time, it's like waking up in a world where everybody's completely drunk and you're the only sober person. <laughs> and then from that point on, you can see people trying to attend something to be happy, attend this to be happy, but that's, that tomorrow will never come. So the moment that one wakes up inside the dream is because they begin being sober and respect the outside dream. But most important thing to begin to respect the, the instinct, the one that we have uh, channeled with. Because in many traditions, we can say we channel this person, this other person. But when I was young, I never heard anybody say, well, I'm just channeling myself. 
I'm shallow in my own heart. And when we let, get out of the way, then it's when the, the artist of the Totec comes into place. Because we all are channelers. We just have to get out, out of our way. And when we begin taking action, well, we get the answers. It's fascinating. You said that um, Toltecs, um, the Toltec tradition, Toltec people moved to the area that is now Mexico in order to study perception and be artists. This is absolutely fascinating to me because there's more than 550 native North American tribes here in this Turtle Island, and not one of them has a word for artists. So it must be a very unique tradition in terms of Native America. Yes, but it's very beautiful because, you know, when we wake up as, as humans, you know, we're creating all the time. So we're art. If we create a masterpiece of art, of suffering, it's an art. If we make a masterpiece of art, of, of you know, inspiration and positivity, it's an art. So when we begin respecting the artist, you know, the artist within, we begin channeling everything that everything is possible because we, the Totec, believe that we have a source to the infinite, and that's where dreams are born. And the beautiful thing about this responsibility is when we get out of our own way and we begin trusting ourselves. And that's what my father says. Could you imagine the whole world just trusting themselves? They don't have to bite into lies. They don't have to have blind faith. But you believe in your kindness. And everything you go is like a walking mirror. But in this beautiful dream, you know, people have bitten the apple. They get into greed. They get into putting people down. They don't know how to be kind because they're not kind to themselves. But in the Totec tradition, when you look into the mirror, you'll find the love of your life. And the love of your life will take you wherever you want to go. So here's the question. How are we treating the love of our life? You know, how are we treating this human body, which represents the mother? And we wake up the consciousness. We know that we all belong here to serve the mother. And that's why I love the going to Teotihuacan, to all those beautiful ruins, because I see the ants carrying those stones. And when they carry those stones, they make like a beautiful pyramid in the ground. And that's like the pyramids that we ancestors built. But underneath the pyramid is all the tunnels, all the caves, and it's like the, our veins. And it's just life over life over life. And that's when you wake up knowing that you are alive. How can you waste your time? And then we completely wake up in a world where it's completely, you know, out of its time because there's no self-trust. That's why when the artist wakes up, the number one rule is to never disrespect our art. And that way we always respect mother. And when you say the number one rule... Um in the Toltec tradition? Mm-hmm. So much of your work is derived, um, if I understand correctly, from your father's work in his initial book called The Four Agreements. Right? And then you and he co-wrote um, The Fifth Agreement. Yes. And then your current book is The Wisdom of the Shamans. Yes. <clears throat> and um, so... When I first saw that, I was really puzzled because I couldn't figure out what you meant by agreement. Because when I look at those five things, they are all in the command form of the English language and in the imperative form. And then I checked the Spanish, and it's also in the imperative form in Spanish. And so I wanted to know, I think of an agreement as if I say, like one of the agreements is... um, always do your best. So, and another one is, I think, always be impeccable with your word. And so I think of an agreement as something where you say, would you like to do your best? And then someone says, yes, and now you have an agreement. To me, these sound a little bit more like 
commandments sort of or you know where where are they coming from where are they sourced and how is it an agreement well the four agreements was written by my father and it was made especially for himself and he was impeccable with his word. He took everything personal. He made assumptions, and he never did his best. So when he noticed that he was, you know, corrupting his world, his art, he made these agreements to unlearn, because in the Totec tradition, there is nothing to learn but to unlearn how we go against ourselves. And using those agreements, he began unlearning all the conditions, all the domestication, everything that told him what, what he was. But now inside in him, he knows what he was. So the fifth agreement is to be skeptical but learn to listen. And that's an agreement that very helped me a lot because it's not to be skeptical of in a social position, you know, I'm more intelligent than anybody else. No, it's being skeptical of my own negativity. Like I say, I cannot change, I cannot change, I cannot change. If I'm skeptical to that negativity, I will change. If I say I'm not meant for love, nobody loves me. And if I agree to that, then nobody will love me. But if I begin skeptic, it's like the old tradition, breaking the curse, breaking the spell. And spells were made with word, and word was corrupted. And, you know, like they say in the Bible, first was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God, which is creation. With the word, we begin distorting because there's no self-respect. So it's not going to respect to the outside world. So when we, wake, we live in this way, we wake up one day and say, that's enough. So we begin to unlearn. So the way that I unlearn is not in anybody else's way. It's in my own way because I know what makes Jose happy and I know what makes Jose suffer. And how do I know that? It's because I am Jose. And having the little, you know, common sense, the little thing, I stop making it complicated and make it simple because it's in the simplicity when one makes a decision to change their life. When we begin making everything complicated, it's because we don't want to change and we hide behind knowledge. So to be in with the word is to not use the word against ourselves. And in little ways, one day I was sleeping in one night and I dreamt that I was a scorpion, that I was stinging myself with my own stinger. And then the stars talk to me and says, Jose, when are you going to stop stinging yourself with your own poison? And then I woke up and I said, okay, it's time to be skeptical of my own negativity and break that program. Hmm. So you just mentioned God, and in, in the book you talk about God and the devil and heaven and hell. Something I would like to understand more how that relates to shamanism. Well, in the past, we just were in a little tribe. We were not exposed to the whole world. Now we're exposed to the whole world, and the whole world says the same thing, different stories, different aspects. So for me, the devil, it means the fallen angel, and every human is an angel. And the way that we fall is when we fall, is when we went against ourselves, when we disrespected ourselves, and that was the fallen angel, you know. But one day, the angel got consciousness back again and said, I want to be your angel once again. I want to serve life. So they say that the devil's punishment was to roam the earth for eternity. But it wasn't a punishment. It was his own will to wake up and clean up the mess that one cleans up. So in the Totec tradition, we wake up in that moment, in that moment to serve angel again, to serve God again, serve heaven again, serve positivity again. And the more we are in service, that's what enlightenment it is. Because the more we are in service, we're working as a unity to serve the cathedral, which is the body or the pyramid. But in the big picture, we all work for the same boss. So knowing this, we end the war of the gods, the war of belief, because everybody, everybody has the important open heart to end the addiction of suffering. And this is the problem of this world, is addicted to suffering. And that leads to addiction in substance, that addiction to relationships, because the world doesn't know how to love, because it's just, I love if, I validate if, 
I'm beautiful, but no one is just beautiful to wake up and say, this is who I am. And when you wake up this way, no one can judge you. So, so people suffer because they're addicted to suffering? Yes. Like in, like in my tradition, you know, I woke up and seeing my cousins, my uncles, and they used to drink every weekend. So I want to grow up, so I became that. And many people hide behind teachings because they don't want to talk about their whole humanity. And I've seen this in my, in my tradition growing up. So I said, what's the point in faking it till you make it or having a pretty face in public, you know? But the reality that we want is personal freedom. From whom? From ourselves. So when you wake up with personal freedom, you can care less what people think about you like Siddhartha did. But when they begin judging, it turns something to roses because it's like we're going to the point again. Waking up in a room where everybody's completely drunk and you're the only sober person that wakes up the, the awareness that you know that all our brothers and sisters, you know, we have the right to live, to live our stories. And sometimes, you know, when people scream at us and be negative to us, they're just asking for help. That if we take them personal, well, we're going to help them put them down as well. And then we're going to use them to put ourselves down again. So this world doesn't know how to love. But when you begin loving yourself and knowing that you're the love of your life, that no one's going to hurt you. No one has the right to disrespect you, to scream at you especially yourself, you begin having skeptical of your own negativity, then your whole world begins transforming. And this world is heaven and hell. You just have to make the agreement of what you choose, decide to live by. And there's still human sacrifice in this earth. And it's not like the ancestors, you know, that we get in front of the pyramid and, you know, in superstition. No, we sacrifice our heaven, our dreams. And the moment that we no longer sacrifice, we begin enabling the people that we love. We begin the trust of the shaman once again. Because the shaman is the light that peers into everybody's home. But we, no one can give what we don't have. That's why I say that enlightenment is really service. Because you begin serving to yourself. And then you begin serving your community. And it's just an act of kindness. So you see the search for enlightenment and um, questions of heaven and hell and Eastern philosophy as being part of shamanism? Yes. Yes, because we all work for the same boss. And it's just different language, you know, different stories, you know. And, when, and that boss is whom? Well, life itself. For life me, is a boss? For, for me, I like to put the boss as a female mother because she's the planet Earth. She gives me life. So, you know, everything is a story. Like the other day, I was having a profound dream, and I was walking through the forest of illusion. And they told me, the whispers told me, the truth and the lies, they're all illusion. Everything's story. Nothing is real. Nothing is truth. But the stories of positivity, they keep you awake to falling from the dream of illusion because you begin feeling the nectar like the hummingbirds and the hummingbirds of life. You get the beautiful story. You don't know, you know if it's not real or not real. It doesn't matter. But you find the beauty of that story that can empower. So from this point on, we can talk about storytelling. In storytelling, we can work with apprentices without being direct because you can leave it to the imagination. But it's so profound when you tell stories of humanity. And this is the world of religion. This is the story of our shaman. They're all storytellers. And then if the shoe fits, then we wake up. But no one is telling us, you know, that we're supposed to change. Because it's not about that, no one telling us. It's when we have the self-respect to ourselves. And that's when we wake up completely. And I tell you, life's a vacation. So you also say that um, on a global scale, shamanism refers to the spiritual tradition or religion of native cultures around the world. How is shamanism a religion? Well, it's not to say a religion. That was the story that it was put into English. It's just a way of life. 
and every way of life begins acceleration with a drum that's in the heart. And we get out the way of thinking. We can combine the music of all the shaman, different traditions, even from the Hinduism, like I just went by last year. When they play the drum and they like for three or one week, you know, just playing in ecstasy, you know, you're just feeling the, the excitement of life. And exactly the same vibration that you feel like that, if you play music, guitar or rock and roll or something like that, you hit a certain key, a certain note that opens your heart vibrationally. But in the beautiful thing is that no one tells you how to do it because there's no, there's no rules. Just to open your heart, that's enough to get you know, out of your system. And then when you feel this inspiration, you begin to connect whoever is in your same vibration. And it's nothing about searching. Why search? Everything is right in front of us. When we begin searching, it's like the thing where we're not satisfied with our own life. There comes a point where we're just satisfied to be alive. That's why many people have that experience. They become enlightened because you know, they appreciate what they never appreciated before, life itself. And you just stop and just witness everybody. You begin seeing everybody's eyes. And today being the day of the dead, it's not about mourning the people who are not alive anymore. It's the people who are dead telling us to enjoy this life. That's for me, the day of the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, um, you have described shamans as philosophers as well as shamanism as religion. How is, how is a shaman a philosopher? Well, it's just so beautiful because, you know, when you begin looking at the stars and you begin seeing the beautiful things of light and then you get out of your way, but then all of a sudden, like when you see yourself in a mirror with a candle, light begins forming itself. So when the stories begin forming itself, when you just look at life and you begin listening to life, you begin being the interpreter of life. You begin, you know, translating what life is saying and you get out of the way and you begin like a poet singing songs, singing a a story, but the most beautiful thing is the prophecy that comes of all of this. Like if I see something in my way, something that is bothering me, I make a prophecy right now that in one year I will remove that. But it's not that it's a prophecy that's going to happen outside of me. No, it's a prophecy that is happening within me that I'm aware of. So with this point, I see the four agreements as helping my prophecies to do my best. And when I do my best, how can I judge myself? I did it all. And not making assumptions, I was not afraid to communicate. I spoke what I felt. And not taking anything personal, I didn't give power to anything outside of me. And I respected my temple. But the important one is the first one, to be impeccable with a word that is coming from integrity. Putting my, it's like amplifying my spirit into this body and amplifying this body into the words that I speak. So that's why some powerful words of the shamans of the ancestors, and when I mean shamans, I mean women and men, wise beings. They put themselves into, into a stone, they put themselves into books, they become alive. So a moment when no one picks it up, it's just floating there. But when the right moment someone comes with an intent, they pick that up and it speaks to them. I got the feeling, looking at your book, that, um, and from your videos too, that um, you're trying to remedy Feelings of worthlessness. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Feelings of worthlessness, lack of self-worth, uh, anxieties about the self, etc. And one of the exercises, you have a, a few exercises here. One of the exercises is to um, see your perfection in every mirror. Every time you pass by a mirror, glance in a reflective surface or catch sight of yourself out of the corner of your eye Repeat either aloud, 
if you can, or silently, I am perfect. I want you to see every mirror as an opportunity to recognize your perfection when you wash your hands in the bathroom sink at the office, when you catch your own eye in the rearview mirror during rush hour, when you have to wait for a sliding glass door to open, consider how many reflective surfaces you pass every day and how many of them you see yourself in. So um, I would like to understand how that practice suits the spirit of the times, the sense of the times, the zeitgeist, um, given that well, as Christopher Lash wrote in his book, Culture of Narcissism, and as we see from the statistics today that people are scoring 40% higher in narcissism than before, how is it that um, telling yourself you're perfect is going to remedy feelings of worthlessness? Well, coming from feeling less worth, you know, that knowing that we're not meant for anything, we're not meant for beauty, that we we addicted to suffering and the number one person we put down is ourselves before we put everybody else down and then we get ourselves in a bucket putting everybody else down. You know, that becomes a lifestyle. And when you wake up and doesn't feel good anymore, I imagine one day looking into a mirror and I said to myself, you know what? I am perfect. I'm perfect with the mistakes that I have done, that I'm doing and that will do because that's how I will learn. And every time I say I'm not perfect, I'm insulting the boss who created me. Because in this point, everything is, is created perfectly. You know, we humans, we put in the top of the food chain. And we say we're not perfect. You know, we are perfect. Because, you know, I really value how life has changed. Like a thousand years from now, we didn't value human life. We didn't value even, you know, the truth. That we have to hunt down for witches. We have to hunt down for devil worshippers, you know, that inquisition. Well, time advanced, we have changed. 150 years ago, humans didn't respect human life. You know, in the Wild West, you know, someone comes to your house, you, you fear for your life. Now, 30, 20, 10 years now from now, we're now you know, supporting animal life. We're having consciousness. We're having kindness. And that's waking up that we are perfect because we're here to protect the voices who cannot speak for themselves. And when we know that we do it for ourselves because we are addicted to suffering, we say we're less than, we're not good enough. But when we wake up that fire, we cannot, you know, we cannot ignore it. And when we wake up, we cannot go back to sleep. So then we know that the whole creation is perfect. And just to insult ourselves that we're not perfect, you know, that, and that breaks the chain of worthlessness. The part where I get confused about this as a remedy for worthlessness or feelings of worthlessness is um, if you're looking in the mirror and telling yourself, I'm horrible, I'm terrible, I'm an awful person, I, I, don't, I don't do things the way I would like to do them, I fail... Um, and if you're looking in the mirror and saying, I'm wonderful, I'm great, I'm just the way I should be, aren't you kind of still looking in the mirror? Oh, yes. So wouldn't the remedy for worthlessness be more looking toward the community and toward the environment rather than looking in the mirror? That's the part that confuses well, me. Well, sometimes I don't know what the environment is feeling or the community is feeling, but I know what I'm feeling. And I come from, a, you know, my grandmother was a curandera, a faith healer. My father was a shaman. A doctor, and I was a junkie. I was born in Tijuana, became drug addict. So all that I know is to feel less worthless than that, and I worth less. And then one day I lost my eyesight and was blind for almost two weeks. But when my, I got my eyesight back, I went to the mirror, and I looked at myself, and I saw how that reflection was always loyal to me, no matter what I did. I go to hell, suffering. It goes following me, loyal to me. So I asked myself, when is my time to be loyal to that reflection? And that's when my Toltec training begin. 
because in the total training, there's nothing to learn but to unlearn. So I, I do see how it applies to you. Mm-hmm. I w- there's really a question about how it fits with our times, which are such intensely narcissistic times from the top of this society down to the bottom. So much so that the whole of the United States right now is roiled around um, narcissism. Mm-hmm. Um, it is indeed the plague of our time. And so that's where I, I can't quite follow it. If you're looking in the mirror, you're still looking in the mirror, whether you say you're wonderful or, or awful. Yes. But the beautiful thing is to always being truthful. When I grew up, I saw my elders saying, fake it till you make it. Are you happy and put a fake smile? And that didn't serve me at all in my life. And when I heard about uh, out-of-body experiences, you know, I had mine when I was 10 years old, floating, seeing my body dreaming. And I have to confess that didn't help me at all in my life. It was just a dream. But the real out-of-body experience is watching myself in the mirror, if I'm being authentic or not being authentic. And, you know, in reality, if I want to help people around me, I can pretend, fake it till I make it, but, you know, read a lot, but I will never understand that. But the moment that I fix myself, I'm healing myself, I go through the fire, and then I am wanting to talk to somebody who's going the same way. That's why, you know, there's a garden of roses who will speak to roses. There's a garden of daisies who will speak to daisies. And we all work for the same boss. But the only thing we're doing is, like I said earlier, the falling angels cleaning up its mess. And like they say, you know, in spirituality, it's the ones who come up from suffering. Who, who, who come out from suffering. And that's, the, that's the, the, the discipline I'm talking about to be enlightened. Enlightenment is not the rainbow coming out. No, there's no problem anymore. No, we confront our emotions. We control our poison like the rattlesnake because when the rattlesnake was young, it couldn't control its poison like we human emotion. We cannot control emotional poison. But when we grow up, the rattlesnake has more poison. Like we humans have more poison, but we know how to control our poison now because we are impeccable with our word. And when we begin looking into the mirror, yes, we can say that there's so many levels of awareness. You know, I would, I would support a person who cannot walk with crutches, but if he wants to walk his whole life and now he can walk with crutches, I say, you know what, it's time to take away the crutches. And sometimes people do not lo- love themselves. So we're beginning in a time, you know, when there's these selfies, these, fa- these Facebooks, all this internet, you know, when finally a person are feeling good over themselves, you know, that they're coming out of their little, you know, things. But at the same time, it's always a measurement, you know. You, you have to be careful what you put into your body. Don't overeat. You have to so, always so, find your limits. So when you mention, so you see selfies as people feeling good about themselves? Yes, feeling happy, you know. Is, and, and right now I have to honestly, just not my generation, you know, but seeing my nephews, my children, you know, uh, my little kids, you know, not my children, but the little ones in the family, seeing how they're living. They totally live in a different era that I lived. And I remember living in a different era than my parents lived, you know, and times are changing. And that's something we always have to be flexible with. And not like I say, you know, when my grandma told me, if I catch you what you're doing and you're copying me, you're killing the Toltec tradition. If you're copying your father and not doing your work, you're killing the Toltec tradition. So this generation, you know, they will find a balance to, you know, to not be so narcissist. But right now is a time that communist communist is going, you know, big. Right now is the time that... All that dream is is big, you know. And and they always want to be famous, always want to be known, you know. But they always want to be validation, it's no different than the, than the little kids looking into the models and they want to be like the models and not wanting to eat anymore, you know, it's because they look into that. But there comes a point when they say, you know, this is not my dream. And that's the moment that one wakes up. 
So, so in a different, in a, in addition to catching your own reflection and telling yourself that you're perfect, what are some of the other practices, concrete, practical practices that you recommend? Well, one of the, my favorite practices it is to unlearn what you know what it doesn't serve you anymore. So we take a walk in the in the nature, and I ask my apprentices to get three stones. And to be honest, what doesn't serve them anymore? It could be any addiction. It could be corrupting the word. It could be, you know, being toxic to other people. And they have awareness. Is to get those stones and say, okay, now I got my power. Architect, you will not build your home here anymore because I have awareness. Get those stones, make a burial, but have awareness that you're letting go of something. And that's an act of power. So when they do that, I tell them now, now get three stones that you want to do in your life that will support you that gives you inspiration, that gives you motivation. And don't do it for me. You don't have to please anybody of your teachers. Do it for you. And that's why I said don't disrespect your art. Don't sacrifice your art because it's due to be completely full of life. And when people are um, honest with themselves and they honor themselves, I tell you, it, it has a completely shift. Then when they look into the mirror, they know that that's the love of their life. Not only because they're seeing beauty, they don't want to change it, but they feel the beauty as well. And then we begin to unlearn from different levels of awareness. Like it took levels of awareness to take care of the physical body, to learn to take care of what to eat, you know, to remove people from the life. And it was all discipline, but the point is that I do it for the love of the life of Jose, because I don't want to be in that world anymore where I feel worthless. I feel empowerment. And empowerment is just to feel love. And for show people how to love themselves, that's all they have to do because the rest will come. That is certainly what um, the five religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, Christianity, Islam, I guess what's the other one? And what? Judaism, Judaism yeah. Um, I think they would all be in agreement with that. I think that... Um, so what distinguishes the shaman as different from religion? Well, you know, everything can become a religion because that's the way society puts things and labels things. And they will always label things. You know, they will take your art and do something else. So I'm responsible for what I say. I'm not responsible for what other people listen to. Because if I took control of people, whatever listen, I would break my head, you know, and I will lose my freedom. Freedom is to let every people dream what they want to dream. And at the same time, I let myself dream freely as well. Yes, you said that um, something doesn't actually really exist unless you agree that it exists. Yes, exactly. And actually today I heard um, Will Smith, the actor, say, did you catch that? He said that, um, do you know him? Yes. I thought so because I, he didn't mention you, but he was on television and he said that uh, two plus two doesn't equal four unless he agrees that two plus two equals four. Otherwise, two plus two doesn't equal four. Yes, there are some people who are in denial who, you know, they think that something one else is the love of their life and they think, 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 and that person has been gone for 20 years. But they hold on to a reality. But the moment that you begin seeing, talking to them, we begin to shape shift. So it's all relative to your perception. Yes, because, you know, there's seven or eight billion humans dreaming right now and every mind's at art. But then when you begin respecting everybody's art, they will respect you back. And especially when you don't try to change them, put them down, but you just, just, you know, enjoy them. Like if we go visit our families and the families trigger us, you know, there's something that mama says, you know, that you're not living your life right, that you want to trigger them. Let her dream, I said to myself. Let her have my mama's dream. Let her make her happy. It's not affecting me. 
the ego will get affected. The, the one who wants to take it personal will get affected. But if I once had the opportunity, if one time not to see my mom anymore and I get to see her, it's completely different, my point of view. You know, if I one day feel like I'm not going to live it, but then all of a sudden I get life and I see my mom, her world would not affect me. But I enjoy her so much that I will respect her dream. So it's really important not to let others affect your, your view of things. Especially not giving them power. Because of something in addiction of suffering that we do. We give something power that we will hurt us. It's like somebody said to me, Jose, sometimes I drink poison thinking it's going to hurt somebody else, but the only one I'm hurting is myself. And this is what we do when we start using other people to hurt ourselves. And the moment that we don't do that anymore, we respect that person, but we respect ourselves because we're totally seeing the corruption of the illusion of the words that we speak among ourselves. That's why when people have that experience, all of a sudden they remove that illusion. They're grateful to be alive. And all the little grudges that one has with other people, it doesn't matter because you're here. This is the truth. Our love, our connection is the truth. What separates us is illusion. And this is when we corrupt knowledge. And when we corrupt knowledge, you know, knowledge has life of its own. That's why sometimes we're thinking in our head, why am I thinking this way? Because once the forest fire got a certain size, like my fireman said, it, life, fire has life of its own. So when you have respect for the words and knowledge, it has life of its own. But then we wake up again in, like in a religious story, the tree of life, when there's a little snake offering you the apple. And once we bit it so many times, it will not bite it again. But sometimes we bite the apple, and then we say, okay, I didn't like this dream, you know, and let it go. But if we begin punishing ourselves, oh, I bit the apple, I bit the apple. And, you know, and then you go to a stranger, look, I bit the apple, I bit the apple. It's self-punishment. But the moment that you begin respecting yourself, say, I learned my lesson, I let it go. Because in life, like the Buddha said, it is what matters most is how well we live, how well we love, and how well we learn to let go. Let go of what? A story that is, is inorganic. It's not organic. It's make up. It's an illusion that we support. And people die for this illusion. People react to it, you know, and they begin doubting themselves. But I tell you, if it's doubt that got us into suffering, it will also be doubt that get us into heaven again. Because we will not believe ourselves and we break the curse of the scorpion that stings us with its own stinger. So in your book, you mention a lot of teachers. You, you mention um, uh, seeing yourself in a you know, inheriting uh, the work that um, Castaneda did and that your father did and that as a tradition. And you also mentioned Krishnamurti and um, other, can you name by name any uh, women that have influenced you? My grandmother. By name. Mother Sarita. Uh-huh. My grandmother, Mother Sarita, she was like an inspirational woman. You know, they said that in the, in the 1940s, it was unheard of. For a woman who got abused by her older husband, who said, you know what, this is enough. She got her children, and she moved on, and she became the most powerful shaman in our tradition. And uh, she wasn't victim. She's, Any others? Well, my mother, Mama Gaya, she comes from the Hindu tradition as well. And she represents to me, you know... Did you, sorry, did you say Hindu? Yes. And uh, she, what she taught me is that, you know, imagine loving everybody every brother and sister like they were your own children, how this world would look like. And that's one of the teachings that I took, you know, very at heart. She passed away like five months ago. And, uh, and when I saw her body all cold 
and I touched her. I know she wasn't there anymore, but she gave me a, a message. Enjoy this dream. Enjoy this life. Don't give power to the illusion. Open your heart off and just shine. There are people who will agree with you, people who will disagree with you, but the important thing is that you respect yourself because that's what is contagious, to begin respecting yourself, to respect your temple. And this is what Mother is all about. And I really take that for, from my heart, Mama Gaya. And then there's another one, Indra Devi, who used to be a good friend with my grandmother, who I don't know if you know about Saiti Sai Baba, but he was one of the only women who can cut his hair. But, uh, but I, have, I was blessed to be a lot of powerful men and women in my heart, in my life. And I guess that's why I pushed myself to you not know, to go into drug addiction and to push myself out. But when I was up there, you know, I knew there was bigger demons than one say, you know. And, and, and demons will always be your friend until you want to hear, tell them what they want to hear. And the moment you tell them what they don't want to hear, they will rebel against you. And then I said to myself, that's what I used to do when I take it personal. When I don't want to hear something, it's like I did this big tantrum and I hurt myself and it's mastering it. So I begin to unlearn how to go against myself to begin to love Jose once again. And when I wake up one day and I get a tickle in my brain saying, you're still alive, you're not in prison, and you're not in a mental institution, that tickles my brain in half full of gratitude. And that gratitude to be alive is what I see in all the traditions, men and women, and that I've come around the world. And that's the beautiful thing about the fire and we're keepers of the flame. So does your tradition primarily just um, have shamans that are male and female? Because among North American Indians, there's at least five different genders. There's, um, you know, there's male shamans, female shamans, two-spirit male shamans, two-spirit female shamans, and transgender shamans. Um, but yours is binary? No, it's, it's, it's all like you mentioned. Because it's everything that we open with the heart. You know, like me, myself, I'm very into Shiva Shakti Avatara. I like to balance the female and the male energy. Sometimes I'm in the Hindu temples and they want to kick me out because I'm in the male side or in the female side <laughs> until they notice. But it doesn't matter because a body is a body. What is important is the life force that moves the body. And anyone who sees this life force who's embodying it will respect any tradition, any story that one plays because it's about kindness. It's not about the fearful. It's not about how to do it. Is just let the light shine. So who are some of the two-spirit shamans that have influenced you? Well, it's myself. I haven't noticed many people in the shaman tradition, but, you know, I, I've noticed many people with kindness who are transgender, and I speak to them, and they've gone through fire, you know, through judgment, through fire that they really find to love themselves completely, and I really find their teaching very beautifully in the heart because that's the act of kindness, and when we begin living the act of kindness, especially living your dream and respecting what you want to live for, you know, that's the most beautiful thing to decorate your temple, to do the puja. Do you know, this body, it's meant to be beautiful. That's why I love Krishna too, because Krishna is one of the most beautiful males that embrace the female energy of the mother. And it's because mother lives inside of us. And I tell you, when something begins happening, especially when we change our ways of eating and stop eating the little animal friends, we can totally feel the total animal that we really are, you know, the total life force that we really are to make an equilibrium with everything that exists. That's why I said everything is perfect when we begin living this way. And we begin seeing like children, people who are playing with knowledge, people who are playing with, you know, guilt and shame because that's what they were passed into them with the addiction of suffering. But when you wake up, you know, you don't want to fight them. You want to embrace the beauty because everything is a mirror. And that's the beautiful thing about mirror work, that every eyes that we look upon 
It's a mirror. It's a soul looking at oneself. And you can go beyond any story, any words, and just grab their hands and look into them. And that's the eternal silence that one speaks about. Then we wake up, you know, and we share the stories. And that's the most beautiful thing, to explain, channel what we feel inside into the words. That's why I have so much respect for all the shaman men and women that exist and they're living their dream. That's like my grandmother who lived their dream in the 1940s and left that abusive husband and moved their children forward. And because if it wasn't for her, I don't think that we will be sitting right here right now because she was my father's teacher who wrote the four agreements. And when my father was in the top of the pyramid of the, of the, of the moon, he said, this world, this book is going to reach many people because I put my soul here. I put my spirit here. And I'm speaking to myself. So it may seem like uh, conditions for agreements. You know, it may seem like uh, something to live by. But the moment that we are strict with ourselves, strict with our parasite, and the parasite is a living being that lives over a living being, is something that we want to let go of. So, of course, we're going to be strict until we don't need no strictness anymore. So when you talk about the boss and uh, various other images that are in the book, it seems very hierarchical, um, you know, a top-down model of spirituality. Is that accurate? It's about faith. It's about having faith into your teachers. I'm speaking about the model, like, say, the model of a circle compared to the model of a, of a pyramid. Oh, Everything is shaped. It's, it's all about agreement, you know. It's all about the... It's all about the agreement, you know, what people agree to. Like one day I was in front of the fire and I said to my dad, we don't really need to be in a pyramid. We don't need really be in a stone hedge. We don't really need to be in a volcano. Wherever we're at and we wake up and have the consciousness, that's where we completely wake up. Sometimes the mind wants to get tricked. Oh, this place is more powerful than other places. But when we stand in our land and know that this is sacred... It could be circle, it could be pyramid, whatever it is, it's the intent behind it that makes the magic. If there's no intent behind it, it's like the mask collector who doesn't collect the mask that, that, that weren't used in the ceremonies because they have no intent. They're beautiful masks, you know, made of gold or whatever, but if they're not used in ceremonies, he doesn't want them because there's no energy behind them. The moment that you make intent, that is where the amplification comes, like this body amplifies the intent that I made through words. And that's the magical thing about it. So many people, they like to talk about, they believe in certain things, you talk in certain things. If they believe in other things, you respect their world, you know, instead of matching their bubble, you speak in their language. And then like you speak to a little kid when they're teenagers, you speak to something about, you know, let's say the, the rule of the jungle. But then 20 years later, he goes, there was not really rule of the jungle. It was just something to crack me open so I can feel the bigger space of it because there's so many levels of awareness. And sometimes people don't want to see. So it is hierarchical. Well, I don't know that word, what that means in Spanish. Hierarchia. No, it's not a hierarchy. Oh. Uh, hierarchy is always putting sometimes, it's about equilibrium. So, but the imagery is so hierarchical, like who's the boss on top and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. How, how do you, um, I guess I'm trying to, it's really hard for me to think of, a hierarchical mm-hmm. model as being a shamanic mm-hmm. model. Yes, one thing I say about boss is for the human mind can understand what I'm talking about. But if I talk about this energy that comes through all of us, there's no words for it. There's really no words for it. 
there's really no words for what comes inside of me in this moment when I put my hands like this and I can feel the vibration and the heaviness between my hands. I can put it so many names. And forever I talk to it, it will completely be different. So you use hierarchical imagery so the human mind can understand it? Uh, yes, because that's the way I understood it. And I'm not a big, like, I don't like, I, honestly, I don't read a lot of books. My, my vision quest is my imagination. And with imagination, I create stories. Like all the stories that were in the, in the wisdom of the shamans, they all came to me in a, in a sitting down. And sometimes people said to me, Jose, I never get vision quests, and I get to you every daydream. Yes, all the time. Well, that is a vision quest. We just like to make it so fancy and unreachable. But the moment that we become so, so less serious about things, it's like talking to children all the time. So when you say fancy and unreachable... So when you say, um, you know, we on Turtle Island, we in the northern part, um, when we fast and, and pray for a vision, you're, you think that that is fancy? No. Is that the idea? Or, no. Well, but you can just use your imagination. You don't need to. Yes. Because it's, you jump in the pool or you don't jump. And some people, you know, they take a while to jump into the pool. And some people just jump into the pool because they love the water. And that's all you need to be a shaman? Well, it's about being in agreement to be at service to life. And you cannot be a service to the life outside until you're a service to, your, to yourself. And when you begin being a service to yourself, it's when you begin learning all the negative habits that hurt you in relationships, in, in drug addiction, in lifestyles. Especially, you know, when say, I want to be happy and conquer this dream. And then I was talking to a taxi driver the other day in Mexico. We we're, were driving from San Miguel to Mexico City, and he's been, he said he was talking to these millionaires and stuff like that, and they offer him all this job. And he says, you know what? I don't want that job because I just love the road. I made enough for my family. I don't want to own all these corporations because they'll be a nightmare to control all of them. I want my freedom, and my freedom is to, you know, and that's what brings them happiness. So whatever brings you happiness, that's the moment to go for in life. Because sometimes we wait for tomorrow that's come like bring us happiness. And, you know, we might die next week. And that never will come. But we're here to satisfy the ancestors, the elders, the outside. But always grandma said to me, when you free yourself, that is the authentic way to live life. You're not pretending to be me or your father. And you're welcome back to life. That is your reward. So every day that we work hard in ourselves for personal freedom, that is our reward. And it's so free when you don't have to please anybody else. You know, I get judged all the time. At one point, you know, I started liking getting judged because it doesn't affect me in a beautiful way. <laughs> My body may feel it, but, you know, it's the ego that takes it personal. Sure, judgment doesn't affect you. Does feedback affect you? No. Oh. <laughs> but the beautiful thing is, is gratitude, you know, generosity. So that how do you learn food. if feedback doesn't affect you? You, you know when you do something good and you feel good? That's enough, that's enough reward. Because when I do something and it feels bad, that's punishment. I meant feedback from others to know how your course is going and well, to understand their position, not just yours. Yes, I, I always listen to everybody. Because, you know, we don't stop learning until the, the day we go home. So we take all the puzzles to create our art. Just like when we go hibernate, 
like a like a like a beautiful bears do. They take all this food from the forest and they go having it to make their dream. When they wake up, they have enough food. So we all take things that work for us and things that not work for us. But we don't have to put people down for what didn't work for us. We just say thank you with love. But at the end of the day, things inspire us. You know, so many times I speak to many people after a lecture. And then they tell me something about their personal dream, and that inspires me. And then I quote them in my next presentation, because, you know, that's what we're here for, inspire one another out of our own darkness. When a true friend will not push you into darkness. And the, the darkness is? It's uh, putting one down to feel better. Putting? Putting one down to uh, feel better. That's darkness. Yes, because it's not a true friend. It's not kind. Is intentionally using the word against everybody. And then when you begin having the word in, in without impeccable, without sin, when you begin filtering it, then everything begins, you know, you're passing the nectar of the hummingbird to one another. I'm very careful about words too, really particular. And I was also aware that impeccable, which you tell people to be impeccable, it means without sin. It, it's another there's um, reference to sin and heaven and hell and God and the devil and I how does that result in activity that we would call shamanic activity it's very simple it's because in the time of the conquest you know my ancestors were complete shamanic with nature but in time the conquest came they imposed religion upon us and we didn't turn it away with anger we embraced it so we can translate to the perfect souls that were needing this help because could you imagine the people who came to do harm to us and they were feeling guilty, they were feeling bad, and they met this powerful shaman and she taught them the way to not judge themselves. So they incorporated all that beautiful dream and that's probably like a thousand years before my time. So of course I will have something to do with that. Well, thank you very much. Oh, Bye. thank you, sister. Thank you, doctor. You've been listening to the podcast for CIIS Public Programs and Performances. Audio production was supervised by Lyle Barrere at Desired Effect. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe on iTunes or visit our website, ciis.edu slash podcast. <laughs>